It's um, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 to 13, page 304 in the Pew Bibles. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you, and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord, and invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Thanks, Francis. Let's pray and ask God for his help as we look at this part of his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would help us to understand it now and that you would work through it to grow us in faith in Lord Jesus and to grow us as your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Things aren't always as they appear. Uh, For example, take the reality TV show, Undercover Boss. Maybe you've seen it. If you haven't, here's how it goes. The CEO of a large company puts on a disguise and he goes to work undercover in his own company as a low-level employee. They find hard-working employees who are doing it tough but doing the right thing for the company. They find troublemakers and they expose them. They discover what it's really like to work in their own company and they make changes. 
Often the employees that they're working with have no idea who they are. It's, it's no idea that this plain looking new employee is their boss. And that's the idea. Now I know, I know. It's about as reality as any reality TV show really is. It's dramatised, it's probably mostly propaganda for these companies and these CEOs. Uh, but there's something entertaining about imagining it to be true. And whether it's true or not, it still th shows that things aren't always what they appear. You can't always judge based on appearances. Often reality is more than what we can see with our eyes. And that's what we see here in 1 Samuel 16 as well. In 1 Samuel so far, we've seen Israel longing for a king. There was no king in Israel and everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. And it wasn't that they didn't have a king. The Lord God was their king and he was more than able to care for his people. But they didn't fear him or obey him. And they didn't have a human king who would lead them faithfully in following the Lord. The people rejected the Lord and they asked for a king just like the other nations. And God gave them what they asked for. Saul, whose name literally sounds like asked for, he's the asked for guy, who, who was tall and handsome and certainly looked the part. But Israel's kings were meant to be kings under God, hearing, fearing and obeying the Lord as Israel's true king. But Saul didn't. He disobeyed the Lord and he failed to repent. And so the Lord rejected him as king. We saw that last week in chapter 15, verse 28. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbour of yours who is better than you. And this week, we see that better neighbour. But things aren't always what they appear. David is the king that no one asked for. He is not very impressive. He's downright small. But he turns out to be the king that God has chosen for his people, actually the king that they need. And because man looks on the outward appearances, but God sees according to the reality of the heart and his faithful plans for his people. Actually, this isn't just true when it comes to picking kings. Actually, this has some pretty huge implications for how we see our lives too. Implications that can help us keep going even when we're discouraged, even when everything seems lost. So let's get into it. First, it's in with the small. As this chapter starts, Samuel is still moping over what's happened with Saul, but God is working. Look in verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. There is a right time to mourn, but that time has passed. Now it's time for action. God hasn't given up on his people. He has chosen another king. But you'd be forgiven at this point in the story for wondering, why a king at all? God was their king. Why is he giving them another human king? Well, it wasn't having a king that was the problem. That's actually been the plan all along. 
Since Genesis 49, when Jacob predicted the ruler's scepter would not depart from Judah. Since Deuteronomy 17, when God provided laws for how the kings over his people should behave. A human king has always been part of God's plan. But the people wanted a king like the nations. And so God gave them what they asked for so they could see how bad an idea that was. How much they needed a better king. Saul was a king for them. But God is about to do something different, something better. See what he says there in verse 1? This time God is providing a king for himself. This is a king to rule God's people for the Lord. And before we go past this verse, the word provided here is actually worth noticing because it's actually the same word for see later in the chapter. Samuel only sees the, the Saul's failure and so he mopes. But God has seen for himself a new king. Samuel freaks out. If he just goes wandering around the countryside holding his anointing horn, his life is going to be in danger. <laughs> After all, to get to his, from his home in Ramah to Bethlehem, he actually go, has to go straight through Gibeah, which is Saul's hometown. But the Lord tells him to take a sacrifice to disguise his true plans, and Samuel, unlike Saul, obeys straight away even at the risk of his own life. Verse 4, Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably. I've come to sacrifice the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. I think starting to sound a bit familiar now. And remember back in chapter 9, Saul was invited to a feast at a sacrifice and after that Samuel anointed him. This is like round 2. But it seems that Samuel hasn't learnt his lesson. Look what happens in verse 6. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Now we're not told in that verse exactly what Samuel saw in Eliab. Probably from the next verse, he was looking at how handsome and tall he was. But do you remember the last handsome, tall guy we saw in 1 Samuel? It was Saul. He was taller than everyone else, the most handsome man in all of Israel. And how did that work out? Not well. Now Samuel's falling into the same trap. He hasn't learned his lesson. Things aren't always what they appear. And the Lord rebukes him for this and gives us the key concept for this whole chapter, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And hopefully every time you read that now, you'll hear the words boom, boom after that. Things aren't always what they appear. Eliab looks impressive from the outside, but the Lord has rejected him. He hasn't chosen him to be his king. Why? It's because the Lord sees differently to man. By man, he means humans here, not just men. 
See, we all look at outward appearances. We look at height or strength or looks. We look at circumstances like wealth or skill in public speaking. We look at how talented someone is. Naturally, we look at all the obvious outward things. But the Lord doesn't see like that. The Lord sees the heart. What does this really mean? Well, I I think it's saying two things. First, the Lord sees beyond outward appearance to see a person's heart. In the Bible, the heart is the center of who a person is. It's the willing, desiring, loving, choosing center of who we are. Everything we are and choose to do flows out of our hearts for good or for ill. The Lord has chosen a man after his own heart. David is a man of humility, of obedience, a man who will fear the Lord, who will come to the Lord in repentance when he does the wrong thing, a man who will lead the Lord's people before the Lord, a man who will rule with the kind of priorities that God has. This man is better than Saul in his heart. But there is actually something deeper going on here too. We could literally translate this verse as, man sees according to the eyes, but the Lord sees according to the heart. And I don't think this is saying, that the Lord is not saying so much that this man's heart is special, although I think that there is some of that, but that he has a special place in the Lord's heart. The Lord himself has chosen him according to the Lord's heart for his people. David himself actually says this later in 2 Samuel 7, 21, when God promises him that his dynasty will last forever and David says, because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant known. David acknowledges that he has been chosen according to God's heart. So yes, David is better than Saul. He's got a different heart to Saul, a heart that will respond in obedience and repentance. But that's not actually the most important thing about David. The most important thing is that God has chosen him to be king. Not because David is so good, but because the Lord is faithful in providing for his people. Things aren't always what they appear. Behind the appearance is God faithfully working to care for his people. In fact, that's probably why David's heart is the way it is. And the Lord's choice is surprising. No one else would choose this guy. Even his dad, Jesse, is surprised. Thanks, Dad. All the sons go past Samuel one by one. And time and time again, God says, nope, not him. And Samuel's at a loss, verse 11. Then Samuel said to Jesse... Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest. But behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. This kid is the youngest and the smallest of Jesse's family, the guy that no one else would pick. His dad didn't even bother bringing him along. And what's worse, he's out keeping the sheep. The shepherds were looked down on. This was stinky, menial labour. Hardly the guy you would pick to be the king of your nation. But things aren't always what they appear. Verse 12. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. 
And you can kind of imagine Samuel very confused again here, right? This guy is really handsome. That's obviously not a good sign. Things didn't work out with the last handsome guy. But again, this proves the point. Judging him based on outward looks for good or for bad is just looking on the outward appearance. God sees according to the heart and God has chosen this man. And the proof is there in verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Just like Saul, David is anointed a sacrifice. Just like Saul, he's anointed in secret, but he won't be crowned king until later. Just like Saul, the spirit of the Lord rushes on him. But unlike Saul, where the spirit only rushed on him for a time, we're told that the spirit rushes on David from that day forward. But if we were paying attention, we should actually have seen this coming. Remember right back at the beginning of 1 Samuel, Hannah responded to God's kindness to her with a song. A song that set the scene for the whole book. She said that God brings down the proud but raises up the humble. He breaks the strong but he makes strong the weak. And then in chapter 2 verse 9, he will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. A man won't prevail because he's strong, impressive or tall. Things aren't always as they appear. Instead, the Lord will guard his faithful. So, in with the small. David has been anointed king. He's the one who will replace Saul. But what about Saul? Well, that's the other half of the chapter. It's in with the small, but it's out with the tall. By all outward appearances, Saul is the man. He is the king of Israel. He's gathering wealth and powerful warriors around him. Even Samuel is afraid of Saul. But things aren't always as they appear. Verse 14. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. See, behind all the outward appearance of success, Saul is missing the most important thing. Because it's not by might that a man will prevail, it's by the Lord. And as a result of his disobedience of the Lord and his failure to repent, the Lord has rejected him from being king. And the Spirit of the Lord has left him. Now in the Old Testament and in 1 Samuel especially, the Holy Spirit would come upon certain people to equip them for a specific task in leading God's people. So the Spirit would rush upon the judges so they could defeat the enemies of God's people. or The Spirit would rush on Saul so he could prophesy and lead God's people in battle. But that also meant that the Spirit could leave them. And as Saul is no longer set apart for the task of leading God's people, the Spirit departs from him. I want to say this doesn't mean that Christians can lose the Holy Spirit. We have a spirit in a different way. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, we have the gift of the Spirit coming and dwelling in us and giving us new hearts. Ephesians says that the Holy Spirit is a seal or the guarantee of our inheritance in Jesus. And if he's a seal and guarantee, we can't lose him, otherwise he wouldn't be a guarantee. 
We did nothing to earn the Holy Spirit. He's a gift that we receive by faith. And we can do nothing to lose him. When we persist in sin, we do grieve the Holy Spirit. But he does not abandon his people. He is faithful and he guarantees God's promises to us. This here is something unique to Saul. And actually, so is the harmful spirit. Some translations you'll have will say an evil spirit from the Lord. But the word doesn't necessarily mean evil in a moral sense. This isn't a demon like the evil spirits in the New Testament. The Hebrew word evil can refer to harmful effects on a person. And spirit may be referring to Saul's own spirit, like his emotional state. And so the Lord sends a harmful mood or spirit on Saul and torments him. This might seem harsh, but this is God's judgment for Saul's willful sin and his failure to repent. He has lost the spirit of the Lord and is now subject to this harmful spirit. Saul's servants recognize what's going on and suggest that a skilled musician be brought to play for him, and he agrees. Then verse 18, one of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, who is skilled in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Surprise, surprise, Saul's servants have heard about David. And I don't think they know of his anointing as king, but his reputation has preceded him. And so is the most important thing about him. The Lord is with him. Even others can see it. Amazingly, Jesse agrees to send David to Saul. Imagine how afraid he would be. Does Saul know what has happened? But things are not as they appear. It looks dangerous, but God is working out his plan. He is protecting his king. And David even finds favour in Saul's eyes. Verse 21. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly. And he became his armour bearer. Saul sent to Jesse saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favour in my sight. Whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. Because the Lord is with him, little David in Saul's court, like a little lamb in the lion's den, is able to find favour and success. He's even able to help Saul. Because it's not by might. Through David, God is working to faithfully care for his people. And David won't use his power or access to try and harm Saul. In fact, over and over again through the rest of 1 Samuel, we're going to see him seek Saul's good because it's not by might that a man will prevail, but by the Lord. Things are not always on the, on, as they appear. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God sees all. Now, let's just pause and let's think about that key principle for a moment. Because this actually has huge implications for all of us. This can help us keep going when we're discouraged, keep focused when we're prone to wander, help us to live for Jesus, whatever we do with our lives. You see, we tend to look on the outward appearance of things, but things are not always as they appear. Behind this outward appearance is the reality of God working to be faithful to his people. 
a reality that we often can't see with our eyes, but this is actually true reality. Uh, Let's take an obvious example. On outward appearances, Jesus was nothing special. He's a carpenter from a humble background. He's not good looking. At the end, he's crucified by the Romans and he dies a criminal's death. It looks like Jesus has failed. But things are not as they appear. Jesus is actually the Christ, God's anointed promised king. Better than David. More than that, he's God's own son come to dwell with us. And he doesn't die by accident. He goes to the cross willingly to take on our behalf the judgment that we deserve for our disobedience to God. Jesus rises again on the third day, vindicated as God's chosen king who will one day return to judge the living and the dead and to set all things right. To human appearances, Jesus is a failure. But the reality is greater. He is the king that we need. And he calls us all to repent, to turn away from our sin and to turn to him in trust and faith as our Lord and King. And because Jesus is truly the risen King, many other things in this world are not as they appear. To human appearances, I struggle to see progress in my own life. It seems like I still wrestle with the same old sins. At times, it seems like nothing will change. In fact, the longer I follow Jesus, the more I see the depth of my own sin. And I wonder how God could possibly forgive me again. But things are not as they appear. He has promised that Jesus' death has paid for my sin in full, that when I confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness, that he loves me deeply. And more, he who began a good work in me will carry it on to completion. The Holy Spirit is working in me. And even my struggle with that sin, my desire to grow, is evidence that the Holy Spirit's working in me. He's working to grow to help me to be more like Jesus, and he won't give up, even when I keep struggling. To human appearances, it might seem like the mum who spends the day struggling with her young kids has wasted her time. She's gotten nowhere, she's just frustrated again, and the kids go back to doing the same old things. But things are not as they appear. As she keeps pointing her kids to God's grace to us in Jesus, as she keeps demonstrating the gospel, even when she needs to apologize and repent, as she keeps faithfully disciplining and correcting and loving, God is working through the gospel, through his people, through her prayers. He carefully tends the hearts of her little ones. She might be at the end of herself, but God is working powerfully through these seemingly little things. To human appearances, it looks like sharing the gospel with our neighbours, our family, our friends is pointless. How will they ever believe? Their hearts seem hopelessly hard. But things are not as they appear. God is able to soften the hardest of hearts. He is able to work through the gospel in anyone. Don't get me wrong, we have no guarantee that he will work in every heart, but he is more than able and we trust him and we keep sharing. To human appearances, the suffering we face seems unbearable. It seems pointless, even hopeless. Why keep going? 
but things are not as they appear. In our suffering, we can cry out to God and he hears us. He gives us grace to sustain us, even in the worst suffering, when all we can do is groan. His spirit is groaning for us, interceding according to God's will. And we can suffer with the confidence that no suffering is wasted in God's economy. God is using it all to grow us to be more like Jesus for our good and for his glory. I could go on. I could talk about prayer or the church or ministry or but I think you get the picture. Things are not as they appear. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God sees all. He sees the reality. God works according to his heart to faithfully care for and provide for his people. Uh, we need to remember this, to keep recalibrating our hearts and minds, not to just look on outward appearances, but to remember the true reality of God's sure and certain promises to us in Jesus. They are the true reality, not the things that we can see. God is working to faithfully care for us, his people. This week, no matter what you face, what discouragements or failures or suffering or struggles or temptations, let's remember that things are not as they appear. Man sees the outward appearance. In fact, it's easy for us, like Samuel, to get caught up in that too. But there is something greater going on. The Lord sees according to the heart, according to his heart to faithfully, graciously provide for his people. That is the true reality. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look with human eyes on so many things, it's easy for us to be discouraged. It's easy for us to get caught up in our fears or in our discouragement or in our suffering and pain. It's easy for us to feel hopeless. But Lord, there is a greater reality and you are working according to your promises to faithfully provide for your people. Thank you that you have done this for us through the greater King Jesus the one who now reigns at your right hand and who will one day return to judge the living and the dead and to set all things right. No matter what we face this week, Lord, whatever suffering or trouble or temptation, we ask that you would help us not to look according to the outward appearance, but to remember your promises. And Lord, in light of that, to live faithfully as your people and to cry out to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.